0: So if you're just now joining us online or in person and you're squinting through your glasses like, why, Pastor Jim, what dark hair you have. Or, Pastor Jim, what a tan and swarthy complexion you have, a lot like a young Antonio Banderas mixed with the stylishness of Justin Timberlake. I'm Pastor Tito, the family pastor here at Westover. Our lead pastors and their families are out on a much Needed vacation, and today we're in week number two of a brand new series called When God Says No. Where our goal is just to give you an opportunity to take an honest look at your life, the missed opportunities, the some days, the not yet's, the ones that got away. And ask yourself, if you feel like all you're hearing are a bunch of no's from God, could it be that maybe God is trying to tell you something? And here's the bright side. There's a good chance that if God is saying no in one area, it's because he has a different and better yes in another. And last week, Pastor walked us through Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and here's Paul. He's one of the biggest names in all of Christianity, apart from Jesus himself. He's the author of the majority of the Christian scriptures. He's a man who was once anti-all things Jesus and pro-all things Jewish law, but he had in a life altering encounter with that same Jesus of whom he had tried to eradicate his teachings and try to eradicate his followers, and that encounter changed everything about everything for Paul. So here he is, writing roughly 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection to several groups of Greeks, Romans, and Jews that had converted to Christianity and were living and meeting in house churches located throughout Rome. And Paul begins to describe this very familiar tension that we all understand far too well as followers of God. Paraphrased, we're weak, we're fleshly, we're constantly being pulled like in this terrible game of tug of war. Our self-indulgent sinful nature versus our selfless new nature. Our dark, sinful desires versus our desires to please God. Our sinful thoughts, ideas, and actions versus our spirit-renewed minds and spirit-led reactions. And there's this band called AJR. And they nailed this whole idea so well in their song week. I want you to listen to these song lyrics. They hold me like a grudge. I promise I won't budge. One bad for me. One bad for me. One kiss, bad for me. But I give in so easily. And no thank you. It's how it should have gone. I should stay strong. But I'm weak. I know about you, but those are some of the truest words that I have ever heard. And this is basically what the last several chapters in Romans are all about. The sinister grip of sin, the virus that is sin perverting everything it touches, distorting things that were once good, and rotting them until they're unrecognizable. I mean, think of it, of every terrible thing that has ever happened in your life, Now, we're not even going to zoom out and talk big picture. We're not going to talk genocides. We're not going to talk world wars. But just for a minute, in your life, of all the terrible things that have ever happened, how many of those things have some root in sin? I'll tell you, every one of them, every betrayal, every lie, every deception, every heartache, every disappointment, And if not because of sin directly, then because of the effects of sin on our fallen world and on nature. And it almost feels silly to take any time elaborating on how twisted and poisonous sin is. Because once you've blown it, you're fully aware. Your guilt is screaming so loudly in your own head that you can hardly hear anything or anyone else. And when you've gone too far, no one needs to tell you. I mean, you're ashamed to even look at yourself in the mirror because somehow a glance at your eyes, your lips, your face, it just serves as a reminder that you were created in the image of a perfect and holy God and you weren't created for this. Let me say it this way. God has a different plan. I mean, he's got to, right? Certainly, certainly a good God has better than this for you, has better than the cheap thrills and empty promises you reserve for yourself at the bottom of a shot glass, or under the dim lights and plush duvet of somebody you don't really know, but you met at a bar somewhere. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, if you live by its dictates, you will die. Okay, what dictates Paul? I mean, if we're talking life or death here, then we're going to need you to be more clear. And here it is. If you live by your sinful nature and its urges, you will die. And here's the sad and terrible irony of the world we live in. We live in a culture that baits us to the edge in terms of alcohol. You'll hear things like, well, drink responsibly. But yet... In every other song lyric and on every other TV show, its characters are literally doing quite the opposite, pushing past these boundaries. In terms of sexuality, don't have sex until you're ready. But yet, most billboards, commercials, internet ads, articles, magazines, movies, shows, and 808s are all pounding the same drum of a very contradictory message. And here's the ironic part. Our culture baits us to the edge. And then it shames us and it mocks us when we go over. It's so sad. And it's so true. And this is why I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that God has a different plan. And so here's the good news. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Notice, God has a different path. Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 These words were written down some 47 years after Jesus' resurrection by one of the guys who ate, slept, and drank with Jesus for a solid three years. His name was Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was hated by the men, women, and children of his own race. He was judged for being a sellout because he made it his occupation to enforce Roman law, and he was ostracized as a deceiver because of the notoriety of his profession. But that Matthew he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything about everything, y'all. And he quotes Jesus saying this, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates are wide for the many who choose that way. Set another way, live by your sinful nature and urges and die. Or live through the power of the Spirit And live. And it's so interesting to me the way Paul puts this. Choice number one, you can experience your own death as the results of your sin, or choice number two, you can experience the life as a result of putting to death the sin. And it's a matter of who draws the gun first. Is it gonna be you or is it gonna be your sin? But here's the part you cannot afford to miss. And so many of us, we know this in our heads, and we may even know this in our hearts, but when those temptations begin to violently flare up within us and begin to coax us, we forget that through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. Don't miss this. You can't overcome sin by just trying harder not to sin. That's literally attempting to fight a spiritual battle without the power of the Spirit. It's kind of like when you're watching a movie and the police officer guy has a lead, so he goes rogue and he finds himself in this abandoned old warehouse. You know what I'm talking about? The lights are out. He's got like one bullet left in his gun from the shootout earlier in the movie. His flashlight isn't even working properly. And then the scary music starts playing. And he's so machismo, his chief told him to call for backup before he goes in there. But you already know that fool's not gonna call for backup. I mean, you know he's not gonna wait for his partner to get there, and you're just watching. You're eating your popcorn, and you're eating your pickle with the chamoy and the Lucas and all, and you're like, don't do it, Tommy! Don't do it, your mom loves you! Right, and you're just watching, but he don't care. He's not listening to you. You know he's gonna go in there, he's gonna stomp all over the place, and he's just gonna get dead. And you saw the whole thing coming, the whole time. But here he is, and he's slowly creeping. And creeping around the corner, and he sees something suspicious, and he's like, boom! I know, you're like, that's uncalled for, Pastor Tito. My heart cannot take this kind of action. But friends, we do the same thing. We try to fight these spiritual battles without the power of the Holy Spirit. We try to circumvent these seductions on our own. We try to escape from these temptations all by ourselves. And we wonder why we can't win. Listen, friend. You do not possess the spiritual power you need to win against sin. God's Holy Spirit does. And some would say, but pastor... I can do all things through Christ. There it is. You said it yourself, through Christ. The emphasis of Paul's words in Philippians 14 were never just meant to be, I can. The emphasis of Paul's words in Philippians 4.13 were always meant to include, through Christ. Or, but pastor, we are more than conquerors. Let it out, finish it, through him who loved us. Once again, Paul, just a few verses from where we are in Romans 8:37, "We are only conquerors through him. But you, you are a vessel that leaks. The moment your spirit, your temple, gets filled with his spirit is the same moment your flesh begins draining and wringing out what he's already filled. You cannot somehow be filled with the power you need to overcome your sin, divorced from and independently of God's Spirit. And the metaphor that Jesus used to this point was that we should all stay connected to the vine, John chapter 15. John wrote this down, one of Jesus' closest friends. He finished his book about Jesus Today we call it the book of John. It's a very creative title. About half a century after Jesus said it, 52 to 72 years later, and he recorded Jesus saying this. And I need a little drum roll on this one. If you can give me a little drum roll. Here's here's what Jesus said. He said, apart from me, you can do, drum roll, drum roll, nothing. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Big finish. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Jesus' words, not mine. I mean, I'm sure you're a strong, independent Hispanic woman. I bet you can hold your own. I bet you got a chancla to prove it. But listen, the most powerful person in all the universe is the one making these claims. And let me put it another way. The Holy Spirit is like the gasoline in your tank. But he's also like the engine. And he should also be the driver. So I'm not even really sure what that makes you or what that makes me. I guess the guy holding the keys, I don't know. But friends, God has a different path for you. And if what you're already doing is working, then that's awesome. You have my blessing. Keep doing it. But here's what I think. I once heard a pastor say this, and it just stuck with me. If you could have gotten free by yourself, then you would have a long time ago. I know you would have. I mean, we all would have. But practically, being led by and living through the Spirit of God is a supernatural process. Which means, by definition, you're going to have to do some things that aren't natural. It means you're going to have to do some things that aren't normal. Because I hate to break it to you, but normal isn't working. It's not working for you, and it's not working for me either. And one commentary puts it this way. Since the solicitations of the fleshly nature are constant, boo, we know that's true, we must continually, hear this word, continually put to death. That's the force of the verb, the deeds of the body. Friends, most of us, we want to raise our hand one time. Most of us, we want to come down to the altar one time. Most of us, we want to confess our sins One time and be free. But the supernatural prescription, the not-so-normal-at-all solution that Paul is urging us requires you to continually put to death your selfishness, your lusts, and your hatreds. How? By confessing to one another so that you will be healed. James chapter 5, verse 16. Well, that's no fun, James. (laughs) I mean... These instructions written 32 to 52 years later after his half-brother's death and resurrection, those are pretty invasive. And they're just as uncomfortable to us today as they were back then when they were written. How else do we continually put to death our sin? It's by practicing radical amputation. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 18, verse 7. And if your eye causes you to sin... Get ready, this is kind of the rated R part. If you have a kid, like cover their ears right now if they're with you. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and then throw it away because it's better to enter eternal life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. In other words, don't toy around with whatever's causing you to sin. Get it out of your life. Don't try to manage your sin. If, if your sin is here on this device, then put up some safeguards. And if that doesn't work, then you smash the device. If the sin is at work and it's that girl that you can't stop paying attention to, then get a transfer out of her department. If it's that guy that you try to break up with and you can't seem to unlink the chains, then you need to block his number and delete him. You've got to do whatever it takes. Radical amputation means you seek to identify and destroy your sin. Amen. Because I'll tell you what. That's exactly what your sin is trying to do to you. A supernatural prescription is to wake up in the morning and partner with God's Holy Spirit to help you slay these dragons. You didn't know you were going to hear Kesha at the 930 service, did you, right? It means to continually renew your mind through God's word. Romans 12.1, Ephesians 5.26, by immersing your thoughts with his thoughts and intentionally rebuking the ideas and the curiosities and the longings that don't belong. And may it be for each of us that we would spend so much time with Jesus on the regular that we would start to love Jesus so much more than our sin. And that knowing Jesus would become so attractive to us and caring for the things he cares about and loving the people he loves that the mascara and the lip gloss would begin to smear off of the cunning beady eyes and indulging snout of our sin. Hear this quote from author C.S. Lewis. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are these half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased Jeez that's it right Friends there's a different plan there's a different path, and God has a different purpose. Listen, all the no's you've been hearing in your life up until this point, the disappointments, the wish I would's, the I wish I could'ves, the why didn't I just?" your God is about to show you the yes you didn't even realize you were waiting for. And I love the way Pastor Jim put it. He said, your no is not God's way of punishing you. It's his way of protecting you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Wow, there's a lot there. Look, Paul was writing this to an audience of people living in Rome, of whom about 20% of their population were either currently slaves, had once been slaves, Or who owned slaves. And it was completely understood by every reader, by every listener to Paul's words, what a slave was and what a slave wasn't. I mean, talk about a politically incorrect topic of conversation. Talk about the elephant in the Colosseum, am I right? right, A little historical dad joke. Okay, we'll just move on. And most slaves were captured against their will as part of the spoils of an ever-expanding Roman Empire. They were sold into slavery as either punishment for breaking the law, or others were exchanged as commodities as part of an international slave trade. And still others were born into slavery at no fault of their own. Just born into the wrong family in the wrong century. And it was understood in 58 AD that as a slave, you were the absolute property of your master. You had no legal rights, including privacy, including the right to your own body. Now, why do I share this? Because Paul wants his next point to hit home. Because Paul wants to make sure that this is so intensely personal to everyone who's listening. And Paul says this, you have not Received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Paul's comparing and contrasting the entire approach and relationship that sin has with its captives. And Paul is juxtaposing that with the relationship that God wants to have with you. And now listen carefully. This is so big, so pivotal. The relationship God wants to have with each of you is one of adoption as his own children. There it is. Did you catch it? In other words, the bullying relationship sin has with you, starting with its seductive invitations, obsessing your thoughts till you can't not do what it asks... Oh, it'll be beautiful. Mm, it's, it'll be delicious. Yes, it's pleasing to the eye. But then once you cross that threshold, the alluring whispers in your ear become the screaming voice of guilt, calling you every dirty name in the book, taking any confidence and self-will you thought you had, and putting it in, in its vicious headlock. You see, that relationship is fundamentally and foundationally different than the relationship God wants to have with you. He adopted you as his own children. Now we get to call him Abba, Father. Amen. Amen. Can we just pause on how good God is for just a minute? That is earth-shattering stuff right there. And I want to zero in on a few of these terms that Paul is using. Pater, pater is the Greek word for father. Abba is a transliteration from Aramaic into Hebrew, sorry, Hebrew into Aramaic, into Greek, this word that means father also. And so Paul is basically saying, we call God father, father. Or as Luke and Leah would say it, Vader, Vader. Now the Greek word pater means the male parent or the forefather or the ancestor. And it's commonly used metaphorically to even mean the author, originator, or creator. And it's so common, it's used like 366 times in the New Testament. But here's why Paul does it. Here's why Paul pairs together two different languages. Because unlike the Greek word that follows it, pater, which is much more formal, the Aramaic word Abba is a much, much more personal term. It's the Hebrew-Aramaic equivalent of my father. And there's a difference. You know it, I know it. When you grow up with or without a father versus when you grow up with your father. And Paul is saying that God is not just your parent which in and of itself was pretty revolutionary, was a wonderful concept for the first century audience who were accustomed to worshiping these distant, petty, and impersonal gods like Jupiter and Zeus and Mars and Hades, or even worshiping the bloodthirsty emperors from Augustus to Nero and onward. But beyond that, Paul is saying God is not just your parent. He's not just your pater, but he's your Abba. Because... And I love the way one commentary puts this, only a son who felt loved by his father would call him Abba. And that's you now. Fully adopted, completely accepted, absolutely loved. And did you know that in the first century, it was more common for the Roman elite to adopt full grown men with a family than it was for anyone to adopt a child. I didn't know. <laughs> I had no clue. Apparently, it was the most predictable way for a man without heirs to ensure that his name and his legacy lived on. Just adopt a dude who already had a wife and kids, and boom, you got insta kids. Boom, Insta-son, boom, Instagram babies. And check this out. An adopted individual was equal to a natural child in the eyes of the law and society. That means the inheritance. That means the family name, the status, the recognition, the pride, the legacy, all of it belonged 100% to the brand new son and the brand new family that was adopted. Friends, that's, that's you now. Since you gave your life over to Jesus, the Jesus who died and rose again for you, God's son, you were sealed with his promised Holy Spirit. You were adopted as his son and as his daughter. And But here's what I also know. It probably sounds too good to be true. You believe it in your head, And you're convinced that it applies to the person sitting in front of you or behind you or the person singing on stage or the guy running the cameras or the person streaming from a different IP address than you are. But not you, because you've gone too far. You've messed up too much. But pastor, you you don't know what I've done. Pastor, you don't understand the things I've said, the lines I've crossed, the guilt I have. Oh, dear friend, no, I don't. But he does. And he still loves you. And he still wants you. Here's what I'd love to do if you would bow your heads and close your eyes all around this room as our prayer team makes their way forward. We're going to invite you to join us up here in just a moment. You can consider this our family meeting. You can consider this your intervention. You know that semi-awkward moment when you realize that we're all just here because we really, really, really love you. And listen, if you're here and you just have some trouble believing that this is for you, you believe it's for everyone else, but you're just having trouble believing it's for you, I want you to start making your way up here right now. Right now, don't wait. And as you come, I want you to know that you're gonna feel the symbolic embrace of another brother and another sister who, just like you, are nowhere near perfect. But just like you, were created in the image of God. And they're gonna have their arms around you, symbolically doing what your heavenly Abba Father wants to do so badly for you right now. And as you come, I want you to hear these words. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore if you don't want to. You get to trade in the chains, the prison bars, the shame, the fear. You don't have to be a slave anymore. Not because you're strong, not because you're working so hard to get free, but because Jesus is so strong and because Jesus already did the work to set you free. 18 plus hours of shame and humiliation, betrayal after betrayal, trial after trial, beating after beating, hour after hour, six or so of those 18 plus hours, hanging on a cross, asphyxiating, holding on for dear life, for the sins of the world, for yours and my sins. Friends, God has a different purpose for you. It's for you to share in his glory. You get to trade in all that rubbish, all that scuba loan, as Philippians 3, 8 calls it, all your best efforts to be a good person and not do bad things. You get to trade all that in for a God who loves you so much that he moved heaven and earth for you. That he sent his son to be crushed under the weight of your sins, your mistakes, your punishment, (laughs) don't wait. So that when his son would fully and finally triumph over death, hell, the grave, your sin, my sin, we would be filled with his Holy Spirit. And we could call the creator of every star, every galaxy, every cell, every blood vessel, every ventricle. We get to call that God our father and walk through the fire and the flames together, hand in hand, in glory and in suffering. Come on, let's sing together.